Hello, and welcome to the Marotska Method podcast. I am your host, Adrienne Jezik. Here we get to talk about our personal growth and the ways we can express our vulnerability through authenticity. I create a space for my guests to share their experiences with deliberate cold exposure, and we talk about changing our health and our lives to focus on wellness. I share my journey and yours, focusing on mental, emotional, and physical health. Together, we face the challenges of growth through discomfort. Join us as we biohack our way towards a better life. My name is Adrian Jezik. I am a deliberate cold exposure guide and expert. Uh, I am one of the co-founders of Marotsko Forge, which is how I got to meet Noah, which is super rad. And that's also what led me to Scott Carney. His book, What Doesn't Kill Us, was one of the most profound reads that I experienced that pushed my practice with deliberate cold exposure. So um, I was really excited to reach out to Scott on Instagram and be like, hey, let's have a chat about the cold and ways that we can connect. And it's been a joy getting to know Scott over the years or the year-ish. <laughs> and uh, I had the privilege of meeting Noah when we delivered his forge to him in Florida. And Noah, I just got to say, you're one of the most real down-to-earth people I've had the pleasure of meeting. And I've enjoyed getting to know you over this past year with our shares of deliberate cold exposure, different types of reference materials, what our practices look like. And I look forward to facilitating this conversation today. Uh, Scott, will you go ahead and introduce yourself for us and for our audience? Sure. Uh, I'm Scott Carney. I'm an anthropologist and investigative journalist, uh, author of the New York Times bestselling book, What Doesn't Kill Us, which is also the first book in Noah's Book Club, which I'm honored to, uh, to hear about. And we've been uh, discussing over uh, Instagram his hyperbaric training program in addition to his cold wa- uh, water exposure. So I'm, I'm actually sort of curious about that because I, I'm, I'm very interested in breath work and, and, you know, write a lot about that as well. Great. Thank you, Scott. Noah, will you introduce yourself for us? Hi, I'm Noah Syndergaard, right-handed pitcher for the New York Mets and novice environmental stress enthusiast. I'm still trying to, to figure it out, but uh, I love the way it's making my body feel. And uh, I just continue to look forward to this journey that I'm I love the way that you said that environmental stress um, experience like that. That's exactly it. Right. Like we're we're finding ways to introduce healing modalities that stress our bodies in a good way so that we can then perform better. And what greater way to do that than with things like um, biohacking techniques. So, Noah, I'd like to ask you what prompted the book club for you? You know, I always thought learning and intelligence was cool and something that nobody could ever take from you. And over the past year, I've had a lot of time on my hands and I wanted to be productive with that time. So I decided to start reading during the pandemic and during my my rehab. Uh, The books I've chosen have ranged from mainly like human performance and how to develop these superpowers per se, and then little bit of other stuff here and there, but mainly focusing on like mindset and human performance. And I just wanted to kind of pass that along to a lot of younger individuals and just basically anybody that's willing to join the book club. That's fantastic because I think 
sometimes we don't have access to these types of reference materials, right? Like if, if we're internet focused and we've got our Netflix and we've got our YouTube, we're pretty much, and even our Instagrams, like we're pretty much following the things that interest us. We aren't always exposed to what's out of that circle. And so you've done this really great thing where you've taken your experience and your platform as a professional athlete and you're sharing knowledge, you're sharing reference materials, you're sharing new and different types of biohacking techniques that people may not have had exposure to prior to hearing it from you. And so there's a little bit of like a fun crossover here, which I think is part of what's awesome about having Scott here with us today. So you're reading What Doesn't Kill Us, first first book of the month in Noah's book club. And Scott is the author of What Doesn't Kill Us. And Scott, I'd love for you to share with us what inspired you to write that book and put you on that path. Oh, it's a long journey for me. Uh, and it's probably maybe too long to really get into here, uh, except that I, I met this guy named Wim Hof back in 2011 um, to write an article for Playboy magazine, magazine exposing him as a charlatan um, because he was making these claims that he could like stay on an iceberg naked and like, uh, you know, run these marathons in the Arctic uh, in cold in like, you know, nothing basically. And I figured that he was gonna get people killed because he was starting his training program. So I went out to go meet him. And I was the first sort of real long form journalist to ever write about him. And uh, I spent a week with him. And what I learned was not only were these not superpowers, like things that are beyond like the, the, um, the abilities of humans, but they were just like normal human powers. And I could actually do the same things that he did over the course of about a week. Um, I learned the same sort of benefits. Uh, you know, I, I, I could, you know, stand in the cold and just sort of be there and feel warm. And it's because of the human body is made to adapt to extreme environments. What Noah just said, environmental training is I think the missing piece of athletic training in the world right now is that you know you, we go to the gym and we can build our muscles we, we can you know diet change the food we eat and that changes our body composition but what we generally don't realize is that the environment is always sending us signals and those signals change the way your physiology works uh, and one of the strongest signals we can have is cold also heat is also very important um, that when you are in a cold environment your metabolism changes your stress hormones change the way you react to the world changes and as humans we're generally as modern world humans right in the last you know hundred years we don't exist in extreme environments anymore and, and what, what our ancestors might have experienced on a daily basis, like huge temperature changes, and they didn't have much more than fur and fire to, to keep them warm, uh, but we have essentially gotten a very weak. So what we're doing here you know, in this conversation and what Noah's training is and what you do with Morozco Forge uh, is that we are adding in that missing piece of environmental training, which changes our bodies. And uh, we do things that look really cool. Um, you know, just, just this last weekend, I was, you know, I do, I don't have a Morasco Forge yet. I have ordered one and, and you're going to send me one very soon. It'll be there next week. <laughs> oh, really? That's so exciting. Um, but what I've been doing is I've been jumping into a frozen lake uh, near my house. And, you know, last week I was in, a, in, in, you know, you had to use a pickaxe to get through the lake. I was in there for 25 minutes and it felt amazing. And, you know, I can't wait to sort of bring the training into my normal 
you know, uh, what I can do at my house soon. So and that's a long-winded answer. Do you know how cold that lake is, Scott? I would imagine it's, I mean, like it's got to be close to freezing temperatures. Yeah, I mean, the ice was six inches thick. So um, I think that's considered cold. Yeah, <laughs> that's what cold <laughs> feels like. <laughs> yeah, that's what cold is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it was probably between 32 and 40, you know, at the very most. But yeah, being in there 25 minutes was a, an experience. You know, it was, you know, I also climbed up, I'm known for climbing up Mount Kilimanjaro in a bathing suit and shoes. Uh, I did that sort of with Wim Hof very quickly. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of these things that you realize that the mental component is just as important as the physical component. When I retire, we have to do Kilimanjaro together. Oh, that'd be fun. Let's yeah. do, or, or, or some, or like some crazy Antarctica swimming. Oh yeah, I'm in for that. The keyword, keyword being retired. When do you retire? Whenever they take the jersey off my back, I guess. <laughs> and I mean, now Noah, are you restricted on things like that because of your contract? Like they just don't want to risk you dying or something or breaking an arm or is that I mean, what that's I, all about? I would say, yeah, the risk of dying and just injury or the optics of it might not just look the best as I'm playing. Mm. That's Noah, interesting. Are, uh, Noah, are you finding that, uh, that you know, you're a big proponent of, of ice water immersion and you're really getting into these techniques now because I, I see your Instagram, you're in the, the ice water all the time. Are you finding that you're also seeing other of your teammates um, start doing this and other people in, in the field? Like, what, how are you seeing this in, inside the uh, world of professional sports? I would say for the most part, I actually wrote this in my notes, I was going to ask you, I would say 90% of people look at me like I have seven heads. When I tell them about the breath holds and the uh, cold water exposure, but I've actually got my roommate, Rob Giselman, our morning routine is unbelievable. Wake up. I mean, I got to be a, a little bit honest. My breath work is a little wishy-washy. Like I love, I'll do the cold water every day of the week, anytime. But like when it comes to breath work, like that is some discomfort. And I mean, I'm, I'm working on it still, but like my, my morning, morning routine is wake up, get the forge going, break up the ice. We got the hot tub going now. So we'll do a three minute ice plunge and then jump in the hot tub, warm up, drink our bone broth, and then go inside, make coffee, eat some breakfast. And we carpool 45 minutes to Port St. Lucie for, for training. But yeah, for the most part, you might have a, a few people or a few like exceptions in, in baseball. I know, uh, I think Michael Lorenzen, you look him up, he's a, a freak of nature, he's a beast, but he's super into training. Um, he's, I've seen him do many of uh, many cold plunges. So um, I think it's getting there. I would like to see it uh, be adapted or adopted more, but you know. So you, you um, uh, have a, a you, your arm is injured right now. You know, this, the, ever, the news just can't stop talking about your arm lately. Um, do, you, do you find that this helps with recovery? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've, I'm probably close to 11 months post-surgery. I started throwing at four and a half, and I should be back in the game right around 15 months, which is, like, puts me, like, June 1st. Um, but, I mean, every time, like, I haven't had any knock on wood, no setbacks, and every time I, I pick up a baseball, like, modern feels amazing. That's awesome. A very good position right now. 
In, in What Doesn't Kill Us, I wrote about this guy named Casper Vandermolen who was kicked by a horse and, uh, and his arm was shattered. Uh, and which was, you know, that's bad, right? To have your arm shattered by a horse and stuff. And he used um, cold uh, exposure and breathing techniques uh, to heal his arm in like a remarkably fast period of time. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it's these modalities that people don't think about, right? They think that you, know, you have to do the mechanical change, the splint, the anti-inflammatories, the, you know, the, 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 the just rest and repair side of things. And actually these whole body programs, you know, breath work and, and gold exposure and uh, heat and, and other things uh, have impact on your, the global body and, and really can change I mean, in, in, from what I've seen, I've never actually had a broken a bone, so I haven't had the opportunity to fix it myself, but uh, it seems that it's pretty, uh, you know, pretty impressive uh, healing abilities that come with this. I think there's like different parts of it too. Like when I, like I've got the cold water exposure, I have uh, an infrared sauna as well. I've picked mm -hmm. Adrian's brain numerous times. And I'm constantly thinking, how could I change my routine or how can I get the most bang from my mm -hmm. butt? But I, so I got the sauna, I have the hyperbaric, I have the uh, cold plunge, Rosco, and I have these um, BFR units, like Delphi BFR units. That, that's what, like- what are, what, what are those? What's that? Blood flow restriction. Oh, okay, yeah. Bodybuilders, like back in the day, they, they'll tie off parts of their limb to occlude blood flow and you're just accumulating a bunch of lactic acid. And then when the, whatever is occluding in your arm or your limb, the lactic acid gets flushed back through your liver and your liver has signals. And I might be butchering this, but the brain tells the brain to produce more growth hormone. So you can essentially do like, if you do like 80% occlusion on your legs and you just do like body weight lunges, you're going to get mm -hmm. a gnarly burn and it yeah. simulates a heavy workout. So I have those as well. And then I'll do those. And then I jump in, the sauna sometimes and I'm like, I don't know if I want to jump in the forge quite just yet because of all the growth hormone, I don't want to blunt the hormetic response yet. So I'm constantly thinking about, and then COVID happened and I had surgery. I hired a, a personal chef. We started off like cooking for ourselves for like a month and that didn't go over well at all. Our, our culinary expertise is not very high. And so, I mean, we're, we got, we got all covered. We got the, the environmental stress, the recovery, diet it's it's all part of it that is so fantastic are you going are you going to incorporate a cookbook in your book club i might have some uh collaboration with uh my chef but for the most part my diet consists of like if, if i can narrow down to like five things i would say i could eat a, a ribeye grass-fed grass-finished ribeye cooked in like tallow or the finest butter every meal of the day um, I've been getting <laughs> ground beef blend from Rome Ranch, or Force of Nature, that has like this liver, heart, and beef blend in it. You don't even know it's there, but like the organ meats are so nutritious for you. And I would say maybe some like wild caught salmon. And I'll, I mean, I try, I try to like, I would call it intuitive fasting. I'm not like, if I eat the, before, the night before and I'm like, maybe not, not necessarily that do I need to have breakfast because I still have calories store, stored that I could use throughout the day. And then I burn through all my uh, glycogen and then I can refuel with after that. And so I just kind of listen to my body when it comes to that. But for the most part, I do kind of like a cyclical keto. And then I'd also, I like to, if I could 
narrow down to five foods other than I guess I got three right there. I'd maybe add some honey and avocado and then you can't go without coffee, of course. Yeah. I was hoping there would be some coffee in there. I mean, really, it's it's the stuff dreams are made of. Yeah, absolutely. The world makes the world go round. I mean, but my, my cookbook would probably probably only consist of burgers because I love burgers. I'm right there with you. I'm all about a good burger. I love I love the idea of incorporating organ meats into a ground meat product too, because sometimes people are kind of offended by the taste or the flavor of organ meats. And then hiding it in a high quality ground beef is a good good way to get all those nutrients without, you know, grossing yourself out at the same time. Yeah, I feel like the Western culture has completely shunned eating organ meats when they're the most bioavailable nutrient dense food there is. Yeah, absolutely. So Noah, how often do you plan on releasing a new book for your book club? Is it going to be like each month? Uh, yeah, I was planning on just doing uh, one book a month, but I, I mean, I have like side reads during the month as well. I'm read, I just read uh, Drive by Daniel Pink, which I thought was awesome. And then I'm reading Mindset by Carol Dweck now. Oh, wow. Yeah, good one. And I even got throw any Rob reading as well. That's awesome. Do you throw in any novels in there? Um, I haven't read a novel in quite some time, actually. Yeah, I like to throw one in once in a while just to change it up because sometimes when we're reading these self-improvement books and constantly reading these self-improvement books, like you almost fall asleep and your brain is still going like, improve, improve, be better, improve. <laughs> it's kind of amazing, like the different books I read and how like the connections I can find between each one. You know what that's like, Scott. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, once you, the, the, the beauty of the human mind is that we find connections between everything that we do, right? And we have the opportunity to, to read divergently. And, you know, like when you, when I was in college, this whole idea of inter, interdisciplinary studies was amazing. It's like you take a Greek course and you take a political science course and you take a biology course and you're like, they're all speaking together, you know? And, uh, and uh, yeah, reading widely is a, you know, an important trait because uh, you can come up with insights that are uh, um, astounding, right? That's the fun of research. That's the fun of being a reporter too, is that I get to go read widely and synthesize a large amount of information, hopefully accurately, hopefully not crazy, but it might make you end up jumping into ice water. So who knows? I think that's okay. I think that, I think if it leads you there, then you're on the right path. <laughs> I have uh, one more question that I think will be relevant to sharing this on your Instagram when Jillian gets that edit for our first little block here. And that is something that just completely skipped my mind. I have the greatest question and I lost it. Oh, Noah, do, did you have experience with the cold when you were in like high school and pre-professional athlete? Like I've heard a lot of my professional athlete clients talk about, well, I had to keep like my right arm in for an hour, or I had to keep my left ankle in for half an hour, but it's not typically full body cold. Did you have experience with cold prior to becoming a professional athlete? Other than icing the old elbow and shoulder down, not really. Occasionally in high school, we'd have like 
ice bath sessions, but nobody really knew what the benefits of them were other than that they sucked and they weren't very much fun. But other than that, I kind of picked up this cold exposure, very, what's the word I'm thinking of? As an amateur, I guess, probably two or three years ago at City Field in New York, we have in our wet room, we have a, a hot tub, a giant hot tub, and we have a giant cold tub. The cold tub is only 55 degrees. It would drive me insane. We couldn't get it colder. At that time, I would just do the contrast back and forth to get some like circulation, get a flush going. I, I don't think I was really creating any cardiovascular strength necessarily, unless I was like staying in there for 10 plus minutes, which I wasn't, or like I wasn't affecting like the endocrine system at all or getting any hormonal release or anything like that. So I'd always just be driven insane because I wanted to get colder and I never would. So I eventually got during spring training, maybe a couple years ago, Tebow and I were actually the ones that would be the, the crazy guys in the cold tub. We'd get there super early in the morning and I'd always try to get the trainers to just dump as much ice in, in the cold tub as possible. And at that time they had like those percolators too, where you could have like this boat fan in the tub at the same time. So you get really cold. But uh, other than that, that's about it. My experience prior. Noah, do you find, Oh, one of the things that, that I write about in what doesn't kill us, but also the, the sequel to it, which is called the wedge um, is that there is a huge sort of anti-anxiety effect that also goes in with cold and the breath work and these sorts of things by exposing yourselves to difficult environments that triggers, you know, and then what, you know, when you're in the cold, you're supposed to relax in the cold. You're not supposed to just fight it. You're supposed to like, this is stress and I can handle it. And you realize that you can handle it. Uh, what I've seen in my research is are tremendous benefits for people with depression, anxiety, and, uh, you know, performance issues. And as somebody who, I mean, with what your job is, like, it's mind boggling to me to be on like the, the national TV, right? And all you are is a guy with a ball. And if your ball goes the wrong direction, everyone in America hates you. And if it goes in the right direction, everyone loves you. That's, I mean, that's a lot of pressure. Do you find that these sort of environmental stresses sort of create a wedge that can help you in those situations? Absolutely. I was going to ask you, like, has the environmental stress helped you throughout, like, just the everyday stress of life? And for me, like, this isn't on the baseball field at all, but, like, just doing the most mundane chores ever, like, doing the dishes or folding towels, doing laundry. Like, I find, I wouldn't say pleasure, I guess you can find a pleasure, but it's not as bad as it used to be. I have no idea if it's good for the cold tub or not. But my roommate, Rob Gisela, and I were talking about just the other day how the cold tub, when we were on our mound, were, I haven't been in a game, so I haven't been able to experience it yet but just when i mean if i throw a bullpen like i get the adrenaline going like just mm -hmm. a bit this when i step foot on the mound doesn't matter if it's in a game scenario or not like i'm just completely juiced to be on the mound and and be able to work on my crap and the amount of calmness that i get now possess over the last i don't know how many times i've done plunge and he even noticed it as well he's like and he hasn't been doing it as much as i have but he's addicted to it now and he was Noticing when he was on the mound the other day, just the the calmness of his breath, the ability just to to slow his breathing down. Yeah, I think that's like a really important note that people often don't get when they think about cold plunges because what they see on like Instagram, they're like, "Oh my god, that person's insane," and that's like the the feeling. But really, it has nothing to do with the cold plunge. It happen. It has to do with how that cold plunge changes your uh, interaction with the world uh, and and mundane things. And one of the things I write about a lot is that 
um, you know, the sensations that we feel uh, physically are also emotional sensations. So when you're talking about like that adrenaline coming up on the, the, the mound, you also feel that adrenaline when you're in the cold tub because the cold tub instigates an adrenal response. So you're able to handle it and you're able to like create emotional um, responses to adrenaline and the sensations of adrenaline in the hot tub, in the cold tub. And then when you take that into another situation, which is again, the pitching situation is for me mind boggling and thankfully I don't have your job. Um, but, but in those things, you're also gonna have those adrenaline and you have now a, a variety of emotional underpinnings that you can apply to it after doing things like cold plunges, breath work and other sorts of modulations through environmental training. What you just said there kind of struck a chord with me because Robin mentioned when he woke up the other day that he kind of woke up on the wrong side of the bed and then did a cold plunge and he was ready to rock. Instant, instant good mood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I find that all the time. Like I'm in a crappy mood. I do the breath work. I do a cold shower. And like, it just is such a powerful sensation coming in from the outside. They're like, well, let's look at this instead of that. Like bad, this is bad and this is the good. And you're like, it forces you to look at this other thing. And like when I did this 25 minute ice bath last week, the next three days, were just awesome for no good reason. Like they're just, I just felt like, hey, that was just a good thing. Like that mundane office email that came in, I had a good response to it. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, that's the real power of this stuff for me, because I'm never going to be in your situation. Like I'm never going to be in the situation where I'm throwing a ball at 98 miles an hour. I mean, you throw it very fast. <laughs> I'll never be in that situation, but, uh, but it's really about the whole life. For me, that is much more important. Um, you know, the, the sort of what happens tomorrow, what happens the day after that, and not just in the most peak athletic moment possible. Mm. Thankfully, I don't. Have. I do think that there is a correlation to this type of stress response that we develop, and like when you're driving in traffic, all of a sudden I'll be driving in traffic, and somebody cuts me off, and instead of being like ah, you know, I'm like ah. Maybe that's a teenager learning to drive or, oh, mm -hmm. I've done that mm -hmm. on accident before too. You know, like you just have this softer sort of response to the stresses that are introduced in life. And I think that's one of the things you touch on in your book, What Doesn't Kill Us, that affected me so deeply was when you're talking about creating that space between whatever this thing is that's happening and then our response to it even if we're the ones creating the thing that's happening, such as in a sauna or in a cold plunge, um, we can still train ourselves through that. Um, so to wrap it up for Noah's audience, I want to tell you guys his book of the month, What Doesn't Kill Us, Scott Carney. This is such a great read. Even if you're not interested in being the person sitting in an ice bath, like you will learn a lot about environmental stressors and the ways that you can push yourself in this book. And I, I highly recommend it. It's a great read. It helped launch um, many things in my practice. And I think the same for you too, Noah. Was there anything in particular about this book that like is still just sticking with you that you're like, ah, yeah, that's the thing. I would say just the connection to the, the world around us that I get before I'm about to get in the cold tub or do some breath work, just getting in tune with our natural physiology that somehow we lost throughout evolution, I guess. Yeah, that sounds right to me.
that the industrial revolution came along, climate controlled environments everywhere, food on shelves, all of a sudden we're no longer running across glaciers and a loincloth for three days to kill a meat. <laughs> if you guys are on a Scott Cardi kick, I also recommend The Wedge. He explores a little bit more on, um, you know, just what that space is between us and our responses. So, um, if you want to tune in for more, uh, you can listen to the Morotsko Method podcast. Scott, Noah, and I are going to continue this conversation and explore a little bit deeper into the regimens and the biohacking techniques and the ways that we form our body to shape our lives. All right. And so that's a nice little segue. And we can just uh, now just continue this really what is turning out to already be a really awesome conversation with the two of you. Uh, Noah, did you jot down any questions that you wanted to start with, with Scott yeah. or? Yeah, I got a few. Yeah, let's dive right in. I love that you guys were able to like wave my books in front. That's a, it's like, it's <laughs> <that's> awesome. <laughs> I al I've always got stacks here in my office. Nice. <laughs> yeah, show it off, Noah. It'll be good for, uh, good for the video spot. Just go ahead and hold it up and show it off for a second. Well, there you go. Open up the iPad. <laughs> oh, is it? It doesn't yeah. make a good stand. Do you know, I always tuck what doesn't kill us behind, behind my iPad too. Like it's just the perfect size and it's always within reach. <laughs> uh, so my, my question is, I, I was this like every day I'm thinking, how can I alter my, my routine? And is there such thing as doing this too much? Uh, like, um, like how many times a day should I jump in the cold tub to get the most bang for my buck or something along those lines? Yeah, there's totally too much. Anything you can do is too much. Uh, I, I mean, the, and, and I, I don't think it's going to be the same for every person is the thing. So I can't be like, well, if you do, you know, three rounds of ice bathing, that's going to be optimal for you, or it's going to, you know, be bad. I mean, you have to really judge for yourself when you're in the in these environments and really pay attention to your sensations. And that's like, that is your compass through any of these environmental exposures. And, you know, things like pain, that especially pain that doesn't go away, uh, pay attention to that because that's not good for you. Um, but some pain, like pay, the pain that's discomfort, that's not necessarily bad. So discomfort is a sign that your body's adapting to something. Pain is like, oh, wait, maybe there's damage. So you have to sort of like be aware of those differences and never push anything too far. Uh, you know, one thing you should never do, and this just goes out to anyone who might be listening, is never do, do like Wim Hof breathing and try to swim underwater. This is a mistake that, that several people have made over the years. And I think there's something like eight deaths because people are doing this, this hyperventilation exhaling and holding it and then swimming under like ice water and things. And then there's a lot of people who've drowned doing this. So don't do that. Like That's too much. Uh, and there, you know, the reasons for that have to do with your, the way you absorb CO2 in your body, the way your body absorbs oxygen that makes falling unconscious a little easier in some of these more sort of intensive breath work things. But in terms of like cold exposure, I would avoid um, like outright pain. And I would also avoid um, after drop uh, to an extreme. Uh, after drop is when you leave the cold water and then you just can't get warm. You just feel like this 
all day. Now, on your first plunge, you're not going to be able to tell whether or not you're going to get after drop, right? But after you've been doing this for a little while, you know that that long sort of warm up afterwards can be like uncomfortable and last like hours in some cases. Um, try not to do that. Um, you know, a little after up might be okay if you're feeling like cold and, 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 and it's hard to warm up for like 10 or 15 minutes, that's no big deal. But if it's hours, like when I came down from Kilimanjaro in my bathing suit, I was shivering for probably eight hours and I did not like that. Yeah, because like we, uh, so I, I set the, the house I'm running as a like little outdoor oasis and it's got a pool and it's got a hot tub. And so we do the cold tub and then get the, uh, a hot tub in the morning. But like for some reason, I love doing the cold tub in the morning, but my relationship with it at night sometimes, like, Mm -hmm. I'll get in it in two and a half minutes, the last 30 seconds, I will just start shivering uncontrollably. And it only happens at night. Mm -hmm. Well, it's important to note that then at the end of a day, especially at the end of one of your days, you have expelled so much energy in that day. So how much training did you do? How much fasting did you do? How many times were you in the sauna? How many times did you do hyperbaric chamber? All of these different things that you do in any given day is, is taking energy out of your body. And so towards the end of the day, when you've just expelled all of that energy, you're on your last reserves. So your body's kind of already a little bit spent. And so if you are looking for that cold plunge to kind of help you or, you know, to do an ice bath in order to help you sleep a little bit, it may be a good idea just to get all the way in up to the neck and then all the way out immediately instead of trying to push for any length of time because that's gonna drop your temperature a little bit, it'll cool you off, but it's not gonna be enough to start to really drop that core temperature. And so your body's not gonna have to work as hard to bring that back up. And I think some of the signs, and Scott, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, I think some of the signs for that are uncontrollable shivering so if you're, you're new to your practice, or even if you're in the process of pushing your cold practice and you start to really shiver inside of the plunge, inside of the ice bath or the forge, you want to make sure and recognize that as definitely yeah. it's a time to get out. There are times in the Arizona summer where it's 120 degrees. And if I'm outside gardening all day, or previously, if I was outside building forge all day, I would, I would get in five, six, seven times a day, but always my body was able to rewarm itself rather quickly because of the ambient temperature outside, being directly in the sunshine, directly in the heat immediately after, standing on the hot ground, all of these things are a factor. Mm -hmm. At the end of the night, you don't have those same conditions, even in Florida. Yeah. As a guidepost, I think you're right to point out that it's the shivering, right? Is that if it's what you're trying to do in cold is to relax in the cold and not shiver, right? You're supposed to find yeah. that place in your mind. You're like, I'm just here. It's like, mm, I'm here. And if you can't find that point where you're, where you're, where it's just like the shivering is coming, you just get out. Like, you know, and I, and this happens, what we do is we do, we, we, like I'll do 10 or 15 minutes in this ice water, I'll go into a hot tub and I'll warm up and I'll be fine for that range. And then I'll go in for a second time into the ice water and I can't control it. So, you know, pay attention to your body is really what the rule is here. It's not really, and never pay attention, like the clock doesn't matter. Like it's the no. clock is never what matters. It's only your, your reactions. That's what I used to do. I would I would leave my phone inside for a little bit and I would get in. I haven't done it in a while. I still set the time 
but I'll get in, find my breath as soon as I can, or not really as soon as I can, but as easy as I can. And then I would do like four rounds, six, maybe four or five, six rounds of box breathing on my own, but like keeping the count in my head and making sure not to count really, really fast. <laughs> one, two, three, one, two, three. One, two, three. <laughs> but um, at night, Rob and I, we love doing the contrast back and forth between yep. hot stuff and cold stuff. The, the, the high you get from that is unbelievable. And then the, the, the recycling, the second time, sometimes we'll do third, fourth time every now and then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're in the hot tub for like solid 10 to 15 minutes before we get back in there. We're sweating already. Oh, hell yeah, yeah. you are. Hot tub's awesome. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> How many times is the most times that you've done an ice bath in a day, Noah? Uh, in a day, I would say five or six. Always starting off in the morning and then... Like, I don't even want to like go weight train anymore because I want to be able to come home and jump in my clothes up and not have to worry about blunting the hormetic response at all. One time I did, I have a, a rowing machine and we did a, like a power rowing workout, got our heart rate up and then jump in the cold tub immediately. And that, that's what got me thinking about the Brian McKenzie and all of that. That was, that sounds badass. Oh yeah. Brian's have you amazing. ever... Have you ever um, done the forge, taken an ice bath, and then worked out to see if that kind of gave you the energy or a boost towards your workout? Like, uh, like immediately after? Yeah, immediately after or shortly thereafter. Like a strength training workout or like a cardio? Well, like imagine, like imagine, you know, you said you did that crazy row workout and then you took an ice bath. Have you done it opposite? Have you taken an ice bath and saw like, how many pushups can I bang out right now? Or how many, you know, crazy row workout or strength training, or have you ever used an ice bath to then promote the energy to really push a strenuous workout? Uh, I haven't yet, but I'll definitely add that to my list. I just learned recently uh, through ARX Fit. ARX does this. uh, It's a machine that's a resistance training type of workout machine. And the whole goal is you push as hard as you can. You pull as hard as you can. It gives you resistance both ways. The cool thing about this machine is it measures your data as you're working out. So, you know, like from one week and and you only do it once a week, which is kind of why it's the best workout for me. You do it once a week and it measures your data to tell you how much harder you're pushing. Well, we did an event in Austin, Texas with ARX and they had like a little open house and people came in who had never even done an ice bath before. And they would do the forge, take their ice bath and then go and do this workout. And this one guy told me he had 20% gains from last week's workout on this, on this machine. And he credited it to the ice bath. So then he came back the next day and did it again and said, sure enough, when he starts with the ice and then uses the workout to recover from the cold, he gets 20 plus percent gains in his workout. I haven't tried it yet. I haven't tried it yet because it's all the way to heck in Gilbert. So it's like a good 45 minute to an hour drive. So if I were to take an ice bath and then go do this workout, it's way too much time in between for me to see if, uh, if it contributes to my gains. I've tried one of those ARX before at the Bulletproof Labs in Santa Monica. Oh yeah. What did you think? Oh, it's awesome. I have now done. 
What's that? I've now done three weeks. You can't three see weeks. them yet, but there's muscles building in here. Gun show. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, what do you think of that? What do you think of like the, the post-workout, the ice bath, uh, the workout post-ice bath? Um, I, I have no opinion on it, actually. I don't know. Um, it, it, the, I know that, that, that there's all sorts of varying scientific literature on the utility of ice. Some people say it's great for you. Some people say it's not. I think like with all things, you have to experience it for yourselves because I think everyone's physiology is different. Um, what I will say is that when I was doing What Doesn't Kill Us, uh, I uh, did cold exposure during workouts. So I would like go for a run around a lake, like a frozen lake in my neighborhood all winter. And I would be wearing just shorts and shoes. And so I would be in that cold environment and working really hard. And that proved to have very significantly good uh, benefits for my, for my body and my, my performance. Uh, and there's actually a gym now in uh, Manhattan called Burn, B-R-R-R-N, uh, which oh, yeah, does- I know them. Yeah, they do cold workouts in the gym facility. And I think it's a, it's a really a cool idea to add the environment into your training regimens, no matter how you do it, like whether or not it's a cold plunge or a sauna, like I'm just glad that people are like, oh, this is an important factor. Let's add this. And then like everything, you need to play for it, play with it and figure out what for you works because everyone's totally different in how they respond to things. And you wanna, you wanna be able to do this and then you need to find joy in whatever it is that you're doing. Because if you start liking the stuff stuff you're doing it doesn't really matter what you're doing as long as you're doing it well and it's like sort of like feeding back into yourself I love that I think that's a great point and I think we can also get kind of routine in our patterns of these types of processes too so even if this works for me today doesn't mean it's going to work for me three mm -hmm. months from now um just like Noah was saying with the intermittent kind of keto and fasting like you play with it because if you're doing it constantly the same way every single time, your body's gonna get familiar with that routine. Mm -hmm. So it's shaking it up. I've got a friend out here in Phoenix that is a knight, like an actual knight, and he will wear head to toe metal in 120 degree Phoenix weather and run for an hour Wait, outside. Who are your friends? crazy friends. So you, you guys are meeting each other. I've got a lot of crazy friends. So I'll send you guys his info. It's really cool. Cause he takes videos too. Also of like the reactions of people driving by where he's head, I mean, helmet and all, and sometimes even carries some gear for the extra weight. I mean, the gear he's wearing alone, his armor is like so many pounds. And then he's running in middle of Phoenix summer because it helps him it helps him develop the strength and the resistance that he needs when he is in battle, when he is actively fighting. Um, it's pretty neat. Say, uh, Bill, Bill Woodbury. Do you mean like, like, like medieval knight armor or do you mean like, like combat armor, like the Murphs challenge? You mean like, like he's going to fight a dragon? He's a literal <laughs> knight, like with a sword. So a metal helmet, metal body gear uh, like breastplate arm coverage legs the boots the whole nine bill woodbury and it's like knights of the american legion or something like that but they compete like they're serious but but this is part of part of the example of ways that we can truly yeah. stress our bodies environmentally 
And yeah, I love I love but, humans. I gotta say, we're so weird, but it's great if it works for him. It's awesome. I'm becoming nice, yeah. right? I don't I don't know I don't know what that would mean for like injury risk, but dude, just to try it on and walk around with that armor for a minute and see like clanking around how heavy it is. Could you imagine? Well, people wow. do call you Thor, and doesn't he have armor? I mean, come on. He has a, a cape and uh, a leotard or something. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a lot more comfortable for running in, I gotta say. <laughs> more aerodynamic. So, yeah, definitely more aerodynamic. So, Noah, tell us about the hyperbaric chamber. How were you introduced to that? Like, I think Scott and I are both really curious about this as um, as a technique. Um, so I'm I'm really big into listening to podcasts. I mean, our commute to Port St. Lucie is 45 minutes both ways. So, I mean, much like not wanting to waste my time with COVID, I don't want to waste my time with an hour and a half of driving. So I uh, just put on a, a podcast and I was listening to good old Ben Greenfield and he had a guy on, his name is Dr. Jason Saunders, and he's like a, a chiropractic kind of like wellness, uh, innovative thinker, I guess. And uh, he was on Ben Greenfield and I had my agency reach out to him and hooked me up with a, a hyperbaric and, you know, the rest is history. I've, I think I got it maybe back in April or May and I've already logged over like 250 hours in it. And uh, Jason was the guy that would uh, introduce the Wim Hof breathing in his chamber. He would do it in his chamber. Um, I haven't done it since I spoke to Scott on Instagram and like basically I came to the agreement. Yeah, it's a little bit of a, a crutch because I can hold my breath far longer in the chamber than I can outside of the chamber. Um, what does it look like? Is it like an iron lung? Is like a tube you sit in what what does this this thing actually look like i might be able to shift it like my camera you can see it from here what's your hand oh it's like that little oh that's like bag that thing? like a it's like a, a bag yeah okay um the first couple of times i used it were a little scary because i got a little claustrophobic it's like yeah being buried alive um but the the feeling I get, I try to, I mean, the hyperbaric alone is awesome. But um, when I first got it, I'd rented this uh, infrared light bed called the Light Sim. And I tried it out for a month and I thought it was awesome. So I would do a session on the Light Sim bed, produce a lot of nitric oxide, vasodilation, and then hop in the hyperbaric and it allows oxygen to be diffused through your, your, um, plasma not necessarily solely through your uh, red blood cells um but like the, the pressure that mm-hmm. helps out with that i guess I don't know. how how long before you started to notice like changes in yourself as a result of that practice and how often were you how often were you doing it daily right away uh, that was my my chef um, You're like, yes, burgers all around. There's burgers, <laughs> steak. Oh, and bone broth, too. Oh, uh, God, I love bone broth. It's amazing. Sorry, what, what was that again? I lost my Yeah, how, how often did you start in the hyperbaric chamber as a daily practice? 
Yep, I would wake up and I'd do because uh, I wasn't. I, I was still pretty fresh out of surgery, so I wasn't really active. So I just really focused on the recovery, and then I I wasn't really sure what the state of baseball was going to be last summer or where they wanted me to do my rehab. So I just extended my lease here, and I had a really nice setup at Cressy Sports Performance. He's, I mean, the, the minds there are are brilliant, and. Um, so I just decided to, to stay here for a year. I mean, I'm born and raised in Dallas, so I make a little bit of a sacrifice not being at home. But, I mean, I can make a little bit of a sacrifice right now for hopefully big dividends in the long run. Um, home's always going to be home and it'll always be there. But I had to, had, had some work to, to get done. Um, yeah, And then, uh, so I eventually, I had a sauna, infrared sauna in New York, and I had that sent down. And I just, I have all kinds of, of goodies and toys to help me along this journey. And how long, how long was it after starting to use the hyperbaric chamber that you started to notice results? I don't know if it's like something you necessarily know. It's like not, not anything drastic, like a huge difference. Um, I just trust the science behind it. And um, I mean, I think it's, it's really paying off right now. It's basically That's just cool. a replacement for altitude training, right? You're, you're lowering the available pressure and oxygen in, the, in the, the chamber that you're in, right? And then you, uh, like, if you, if, you had, if you had actually risen up to, like, Denver level, 5,200 feet, uh, you'd probably be getting sort of a similar benefit. The thing about your chamber that uh, surprises me a little bit is that wouldn't it be cooler to be able to do a workout at that lower pressure versus just lying Absolutely. down? Uh, and I know that there's a gym that just started here in Denver and who knows if this would be a fad or a real thing, but they can simulate 20,000 feet. And then they have like their workout suite in that hyperbaric chamber, which is a room. 20,000 is really high, right? That's, that's higher than Kilimanjaro. Like this is a really high thing. And then you go there for an hour, do this really high intensity, low pressure workout. And then you get out and that, that I think would have like really, really intense effects um, more so than just lying down in, in a, in a, in an environment for only like 30, you know, an hour or whatever it is that you might be in that. that yeah. Time. I try to average an hour at a time in there. I mean, mm -hmm. you is like, so if you were to climb Kilimanjaro, that's, that's mm -hmm. taking, that's not as much pressure, right? Yeah. It's lower pressure. Mm -hmm. I think the, the, the hyperbaric is more like being, going being in a submarine oh it's going and then because i have you can get the the hyperbaric itself but i got an oxygen concentrator on the side as well so when you're in the chamber you're i think probably breathing 40 percent oxygen at some kind of pure oxygen at a pressurized rate i'm not sure but then you add the oxygen concentrator to it and it's I like get it okay pure oxygen, pressurized. So, so it's the opposite of what I was thinking this was, right? This is more pressure when you're in that bag. Yeah, that more pressure. Yeah, it's got a, like the diffusion of oxygen through the, the red blood cells into, into the plasma. Oh, that's pretty cool. Do you feel, when you get out of it, do you feel um, any different when you got out? Cause if you're, you know, obviously if you're under pressure for a long period of time, if you were scuba diving and then you left the scuba diving environment very quickly, you could have your blood could boil you get the bends um, yeah, the, um 
I don't, I don't think it's like diving super, super low mm-hmm. in the water, but you, you definitely want to be slow when it comes to like coming back to pressure. Like it takes me about four minutes to get to pressure and another four minutes to get out. Uh, I want a video of you in the bag and seeing the bag like deflated and, and then maybe just a, a, a sped up video. I don't want to watch the whole hour, but just like the, the 30 second sped up video of you inflating and deflating. Yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a quick time lapse. <laughs> it's, I feel like I'm going and then do you, that thing. Do you go in all your head too, or does it just go up to the neck? No, it's full body. Oh, the first couple of times I did it, luckily I had uh, Jason on the phone with me and I was like, that was about to freak out. Yeah. Have you done enough? Have you done flotation tanks? I have, yeah. I didn't have any issues with those though. I I wasn't, uh, I guess it kind of leads with my my other question I was going to ask you is like, when I do the breathing stuff, sometimes I'm like so hyper-focused on what my ribs are doing because I through my travels of like playing baseball and physical therapy. Um, one of the physical therapists that I work with is we we work on a lot of rib manipulation, mm-hmm. and the way like I've learned that the way your ribs are angled is how your limbs are going to internally and externally oh, rotate. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and so I just wasn't sure, like that's part of the reason why I'm not crazy about the breath work is like I'm not sure if I'm necessarily doing it right or if I'm because mm-hmm. part of my 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 rehab process was like okay I, I had this injury why did I have this injury and so I'm trying to correct a lot of bad habits and like compensations that my body used to have so I'm like am I just throwing more gasoline on the fire or do, do I, or what uh, I mean I, I just need like a one-on-one coaching of proper breath work because I, I mean yes I try to fill my stomach and then my long spurts but i feel like really like extending through my back and my ribs are flaring and then i get fatigued in my shoulders and i'm like then i get discouraged interesting so i would do it while lying down first thing uh i don't know it sounds like you might be sitting up when you're doing it um i've changed it to where i I lay down and then i put my feet on or my legs at like a 90 degree angle on like a chair so i take my lower back out of extension and that, that seems to help a little bit. Then I really have to like be aware that like, I'm not like like this when I'm breathing and like uh, just maintain posture, I guess. And it's like I, such a stress kind of like energetic breath work. It's like, it's not yeah. passive by any means at all. Yeah, I, I'd have to see you actually doing it to really know, have any like specific advice for you. But in general, my advice is... Um, be in positions that make you f- make it feel right. Cause you know, I have no idea how your injury has affected parts of you, but breathing should always be comfortable, right? I mean, the actual intensity of the breath work is, is a little bit uncomfortable because of the intensity. People are like, oh man, I'm feeling dizzy. I'm feeling these things, but there should not be pain uh, in at any part of this. Like I was getting like fatigued in my traps and I think my inhale was as my- yeah, you're, you're, you're healing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've done that before. I've had pain here. Uh, it should be, I would just slow down the breathing rate, really, and then find the way to relax the traps. Find Because you should be in a mostly relaxed state. But here's the catch. You're also breathing really fast. So right. you're, 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 you're both in an energetic state in your sort of breath work 
side of things, but your body should be pretty relaxed. And that's sort of a weird concept to be in. In a way, it's sort of like the ice water. You jump into the ice water and it's, it's, telling, you, it's telling you to scream and you're saying, no, I'm going to relax. And in this one, you're screaming, but you're also relaxing, right? Because your, your breath is sort of at the sprint. So it might be a little tricky for how, for, for, you know, to know exactly what you're doing because I don't live in your body. Uh, but, but what you're trying to do is not a, um, shouldn't really tax any specific muscles too much, right? It should, you should, you're, what you're trying to do is breathe really hard for 30 to 50 breaths. Um, and you're trying to get to that point where you're a little bit, a little bit dizzy, a little bit sort of out of focus, tingly sort of situation. And you can get there by re breathing really fast for a short period of time or breathing slower for a longer period of time. And just whatever works for you. Exhale, hold, hold on the exhale as long as you can, you know, and then, then repeat over again. You know, I do like three or four, I'll do, I'll do four reps in the morning and then I end with push-ups, and that's like my morning routine. Um, you do the push-ups on a, a, on a full breath in or no, a breath exhale. out? Yeah, on an oh, exhale. Uh, and what you should be able to do, you know, um, when I very, with the very first time I did this, I was like a 20 push-up sort of dude. Uh, and, you know, that was about what I could do. I did the breath work, uh, you know, really fast breathing, exhale, did push-ups, and I did 40. Um, just like that. So it was like a doubling of my abilities. I'm guessing that you're at a better physical place than I was when I was first writing this book. Um, I wouldn't expect a doubling on you though, because you're already probably in like really good shape, but you should be able to do something pretty impressive. I can still occasionally get up to 80 breath out push-ups now, um, which I bet you could do. Correct. And if you, and if you breathe in, so if you take a full lung inhale, you'll do even more, but um, because you're so woozy from all of this breathing and retention, your, 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 your brain is a little bit off when you're doing this. Um, when, if you do a breath in push-up set, you'll do more, but you might pass out at, while you're doing it. And then you could hit your head, which I've done, and smacked it right on a wood floor. And that doesn't always feel good. So, uh, but you do get to do like a ton of push-ups and everyone's like, oh my God, look how many push-ups you did. And you get to brag. So that's could be worth it. You know, the reason I, I thought of that is, have you ever heard of this modality that, I mean, I've been introduced to a lot called PRI. I think it stands for Postural Restorative Institute, but it's just like these breathing exercises that focus on rib manipulation. And like, so like physical therapists that I work with throughout baseball or anywhere, it's like, they're all about that. And, and it involves like taking a balloon and like doing different like motions with your breath. So like, I was thinking like, Okay, if your breath helps you move that way, is it doing something here as well? Yeah, I, it sounds amazing. I, I have noticed that after doing my breath work for a while, my ribs make all sorts of sounds and they crack in all sorts of weird ways that I had not realized before. So maybe I need this postural um, uh, rehabilitation in my own rib cage. Uh, but in general, I try not to worry about a lot of these things. Uh, you know, again, I don't have to be on the pitcher's mound. There's not a million people waiting for me to, to perform, but like, I try not to stress out about things. I just pay attention to my body. Um, and I think that the sensory system is like super important and very undervalued because what can happen is that you can get really caught up in metrics, right? You can be like, well, my NO2 is not doing what the doctor said it should. So I'm going to work on just my NO2 and you're working on your NO2 and then you're missing these other things that are also going on. Uh, so 
personally, I find the sensory system very, very important and I try to pay attention to it. But then again, I'm not throwing hundred mile an hour fastballs, so. Right. One thing I do like about what Scott was saying there with the breath work is starting out slow. So if you're in the position where you're, you're hyper-focused on where are my neck muscles, where's my back, am I being fully supported, am I breathing through the belly? When I first started breath work, um, especially when Hoff's breath work, I would get up and I would be so sore and tight in my neck muscles and in my shoulders that it made me not want to continue the breath work. And then I realized it was because I was tensing myself up. And one of the things that helped me get into a better physical position was starting that breath work off slowly. And so what I would do is I was basically creating a physical muscle memory of the practice while in proper form lying down. And then I was able to slowly increase my speed. And as I was increasing my speed, I'm still hyper aware of where are my neck muscles, where are my shoulder muscles, where are my abs? And so it becomes a more conscious practice mm -hmm. as you're starting to build speed. Then eventually the speed starts to come naturally and you've already created that physical muscle memory of where all your body parts are supposed to be. So I like what you said about that, Scott, there. I do highly recommend keep doing the breath work, but just slow it down a little bit. You know, do that little mental check of head down to toes. Is everything where it's supposed to be? Okay, now I'll take it up a notch. Is everything where it's supposed to be? Now I'll take it up a notch. Because just like what you do as a practice, speed sometimes comes post right. creating that physical muscle memory. Right. I was just going to say breathing sure has a coordination component with it. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm just not like I'm trying to breathe fast to, to catch up because I use the Wim Hof guided bubble breathing. I'm like, yep. I'm trying to catch my breath with this. I'm like, oh, crap, I didn't get a full yeah, breath yeah. So yeah, don't like, do none that. of us can match Wim Hof. <laughs> well, you can't do slow. that. No, no one can do that. No one can follow another person's breath work. You have to follow your own breath work. So any sort of guided meditation that tells you when to breathe is bullshit and should be avoided at all costs. Um, and, and another thing that you should probably, I'm thinking about tension in the shoulders. Um, you've heard of this concept of breathing into a part of your body, right? Where you, where you, there's a tense place and you like, I don't know. It's like you, you think about the air moving to that place and doing to it what you, the, what you want it to. So if it's tense, you want it to relax. If it's too relaxed, you want it to tense, whatever you want to do. You breathe into that area and then you breathe out. And there, this is sort of like a mindful bit of meditation. And that can be very, very useful for, 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 you know, oh, I notice an issue in my body. And now I'm going to use my breath to change that piece of my body. Uh, and, you know, my get, it just sounds to me that you're just, yeah, so many people have given you so much advice that you're like, I got to keep all that advice in mind. And like, fuck advice. You're the captain of the ship, right? And, yep. and, and only you know what your body is doing. Like, no one can be like, well, here's what you need to do. It's like, no, that, that's not right. Like, like the, the body is so subtle and sensations are so subtle that, that at the end of the day, you need to decide how this works. And some people can give you like advice, but those are best recommendations. All right, awesome. Slow it down. God, I, yeah, that, you know what, Scott, that's good advice for life, I think, right? We're, we're reading these books, we're practicing these techniques. We're listening to the advice of our friends and other experts that we've heard of, but 
we benefit from saying, where does this fit for me? How does this fit in my life? Someone recently told me in a breathwork class that the goal is to not make noise as you're breathing in and out. And I'm like, just another part of my life where someone's going to tell me I can't make noise. First of all, no, I want to make noise. And then it, it can help you create a different meditative state. And so I tried it and it was all right. Like that was okay. But eh, you know what, when I'm doing breath work, I'm going to keep making noise. I like it. I like, I like not being restricted in that way. And I do notice when I get into a few rounds, my whole body starts to curl, you know, you get like the curling Mm -hmm. hands, you got like the lips that start to do this, which is really weird. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, is that what that's called? Yeah. That's when you have too much, um, you have too little CO2 in your blood and we call it in Wim Hof, you call them T-Rex hands where your hands sort of go like this. Um, is, and, isn't that kind of good though? Uh, chronically it's fatal. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, but in, in small doses, I don't believe it's, it's dangerous. Um, yeah. If, if somebody who's like, doesn't really does not breathe very well, you can get this situation where it, you know, it will kill you. Um, but wow. like all things, like ice water will kill you too if you stay in there too long till you die. So don't do it till you die. You know, you're in control of your breath work. But in general, when I get that thing, um, it's probably a sign that I, it's like shivering too much. It's like, you know, back off a little bit. Um, and it's, oh, especially, I like that. Yeah, especially in the intense breath work stuff, um, you know, I mean, again, you're in control of this ship. You get to decide. And, and there probably are states because really low CO2 does give opportunity for certain sorts of training things, but I wouldn't stand there very long. Uh, yeah. I, I, but, but, you know, that's hormesis, where all the pretty colors come from, Scott. <laughs> I know that's where you get, that's where you get to have your psychedelic breath work yeah. thing um, that, that you can certainly do. Yeah. I mean, once, once I actually was um, working with Wim Hof in Holland and he tried, and he he gave me these instructions because he wanted to do the psychedelic breath work where you have like sort of visions, right? And it was holotropic breathing was what he was trying to teach. And he actually, Wim Hof, if you've ever hung out with him, he gives terrible instructions. He's like the worst breath work teacher. Um, and you know, go, maybe an, do it. <laughs> yeah, go it, go deep. And you're like, okay, what are you saying, crazy Dutchman? Um, but but he, he he told me just to keep breathing and keep breathing and keep breathing. He never told me to like hold my breath even though he was thinking as mine, no, you have to hold your breath at certain points. And I was doing what you said, Noah, was I was trying to follow his instructions and not my instructions. But basically I just hyperventilated for an hour. And uh, I definitely had this like blue, everything was in pain. And he was like, oh no, you did that wrong. I was like, you didn't tell me, come on, man. <laughs> you didn't do a, a, a breath hold at all. You just hyperventilated no. for an hour. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, it, <laughs> if you do it right, you, you, you do a tense meditate, maybe you're doing like 15 minutes of hyperventilation, but then you do a breath hold and you're going to hold your breath for like five or 10 minutes. But he, he just never told us to do that. So I just hyperventilated for an hour. He left out that really important uh, piece of information. <laughs> he totally did. Uh, and then he just sort of shrugged at the end of like, oh, okay, well, maybe later. <laughs> um. I mean, I still love Wim Hof. He's just a crazy guy. And, you know, he does, you know, he's, he's out there. Uh, he's uh, a great, often, like, I'm sorry, say that again. How, how often do you talk to him to this day? Oh, I mean, he, he we WhatsApped last week. I mean, pr- pretty regularly. Uh, um, but it's always like, like random, like he'll call up 
and I'll be like working on something because he's in Holland time and we're in US time. And I'll come over and be like, Scott, let me tell you about the nervous system. And he'll like, like to yell at me about the nervous system for like 20 minutes. He's like, okay, I hope you and your cat are well. And he like hangs up. I'm like, what the fuck was that, man? <laughs> he put me on Instagram. I was so starstruck. Nice. Made at that point. Yeah, he's a great guy. He did uh, what? He, Repeat he, that, Noah. Graham, a while back, he followed me. I don't know if it was him or his son, but when I saw that, I was like, "This, my life is made." Yeah, he doesn't control his Instagram. It's his son who, who does it. That's still I, rad, though. Still That's rad. Still really rad. He doesn't follow us. <laughs> his son blocked me on instagram because we've been in a fight for 10 years because i called him an idiot in what doesn't kill us um uh, <laughs> so if you go to my instagram i'm blocked by wim hof but wim hof and i talk all the time so that's nice <laughs> which one enum or noah enum okay so Noah, you were also doing the light stim, which is super rad. I, I just discovered um, that particular company. Uh, and there are a lot out there, right? Like there's Juve, there's Mito. There are a lot of different types of red light there's therapies. Thor, which is badass. Wait, say that again? It's called Nova Thor. Well, those Nova are like Thor. 120 grand. Like that's, I, mean, I can't justify that right now. Wait, what is well, this well, thing? Well, it's like a it's like a glorified tanning bed, but right. it's like red light on steroids. Feels amazing. Like my protocol, I like to do when I have the ability to go to this guy's clinic and do it is, I'll do this BFR session. It's one hundred percent inclusion for five minutes on, five minutes off for three rounds. And then I'll go do a Nova Thor session. It's only 15 minutes. The, the light stim bed is 20 minutes on your stomach, 20 minutes on your back. And I, I tell you what, that thing was an acrylic bed and it was the most acrylic, the most comfortable acrylic bed I've been on. I could take naps on that thing. It would, it would be, make me so relaxed. Um, and then I would hop in my hyperbaric after that and feel unbelievable. Like I threw off the mat. Normally, like when I do my mound sessions, which is twice a week, you know, Wednesdays and Saturdays, I'll get like stiff or a little sore like that afternoon or maybe even the next day. But what's it from? I'm already, already losing track of my days with spring training. It's Groundhog Day. You do every day is the exact same almost. Um, but yeah, like yesterday, I, I didn't have any issues with my, my shoulder or my elbow at all. Like, like you think with like the amount of throwing I'm doing right now, not only is my elbow going to get a little stressed, but also my shoulder. But I haven't had any shoulder soreness or issues at all. That's fantastic. I say as an entrepreneur that every day is Wednesday because it's the furthest from a weekend. And every day, it doesn't matter. Every day is the same. Mm -hmm. uh, but that Nova Thor, and, and I think I'm right about this, Jason and Tom, uh, my business partners, I think this guy, one of their guys travels with like a van and he's got that Nova Thor bed thing in the van so people can actually try it. Does that sound right? And it surrounds you. So you don't have to do one side and then the other it does the whole body, right? Right. Yeah. 15 minutes is all you need. Um, I don't know. Red anything. lights. Who knew? <laughs> 
Scott, have you ever done any red light therapies? I am completely skeptical of its efficacy. Uh, I have not, I mean, it sounds so weird. Like I've seen those people who put like red lights up their nose and I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I am gen- <laughs> Go on. Get, we need you to write a book on this. Let's red light therapy. Maybe. maybe. Well, I'm starting off as a skeptic. So maybe that's a good, good place to be. Um, Look where it landed you with Wim Hof. Yeah, it's true. But no, I see those people with, who put like flashlights up their nose and go to the airplanes. And I'm like, come on, man, get the gadget out of your nose. So you can get handheld ones. I know people that are trying them on the balls, supposed to jack testosterone up. And the, I mean, you see all these people on Instagram now sunning their genitalia and they claim it boosts libido. I want to, I did not want to go on your Instagram feed. <laughs> My Instagram is all people in ice baths for some reason because the algorithm tells me what I like. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's, I, people have been talking about light therapy for a long time. Chronotherapy, I mean, obviously light affects circadian rhythms. There's a lot out there that we do respond to the environment. Um, I have just been skeptical of, of some of those claims uh, on, uh, because it feels faddish to me. And when something feels faddish, that sort of my um, my skepticism sort of kicks in. Uh, I'm not going to tell you definitively that never don't do it, and there's no science or anything behind it. But there's something about that stuff that it doesn't doesn't hit me right. Um, but you know, I've never done it, so maybe I'll I'll do it one day. Someone will come by with their red light panel gun there, I'll be a you know changed man. But right now, I'm going to say I'd much rather deal with uh, an environmental stimulus that is natural, that is identifiable, that is like, here's what we evolved for, because we certainly didn't evolve to be bathed in red light. So what are we actually doing with that? that these are the questions that are going on in my mind when I, when I hear this. Yeah, I'll start with the uh, cold exposure and the breath work first, and then I'll slowly work my way to infrared light therapy. Yeah, I mean, I, I follow I... a guy, go on. No, I follow a guy on Instagram who's like, who's like considers him the be- the most biohackery biohacker guy. Uh, he's out of Finland, and like every time I see him, he's like covered in devices. Like he's like sort of becoming a cyborg in in various ways. And I look at that, I'm like, there's something just wrong with with a certain idea of biohacking, which is so device centric that that you you become sort of. Um, uh, detached from your environment. And instead, what I want to do is I want to connect to my environment. And if the red light therapy has something really cool about it, that's useful. Is there a way to find those benefits in nature? Uh, you know, is there a way to, to actually use stimulus that we evolve for to change our bodies? So that's, you know, that's sort of where I'm coming from. I think you could just I- uh, get up and go watch the sunrise and, and get in the water. I think that just is good. That's, that's exactly it. That's what I was going to say. It's like a concentration of those good UVs that we get from the sun, a concentration of the good, you know, just even the same stuff that we get from sitting in front of a fire. Um, One thing that kind of sold me on the red light therapy was way back in the day when I was an esthetician and doing skincare, I had a handheld red light device. And so when I would do a controlled injury, so like a really excessive chemical peel or microdermabrasion or, you know, things that actually intentionally injure the face, Mm -hmm. I had this handheld device that was an add-on service to do post-controlled injury to help speed up the healing process of whatever that injury was. And what I found to be super fascinating about it is if I got a cut on my hand, you know, as a baby, 
that heals in seven to 10 days as a middle-aged woman that heals in like 35 to 40 days and might leave a scar. Mm -hmm. So if you use this on an actual wound, you will see that wound heal itself in a much faster pace. Mm -hmm. And it's less likely, you're less likely to get a scar. So when I started seeing these actual panels of red lights popping up for cellular turnover, reduction of inflammation, uh, cellular stimulation, like all those different things, I thought, absolutely that works. Like, absolutely mm-hmm. that's a thing. And so I have a, I just have one panel. It's a meter red light panel in my contrast spa. And I sometimes just turn it on right when I get in and I'll answer some emails with the red light going. And I thought to myself one day, can I overdo this? Like, what, how do you overdo it? Because I'm also thinking, you know, if someone books this room and they're in, they're in here for an hour by themselves and they turn it on for an hour, what's that risk? And so I kept turning it on. It sets at 20 minutes and I kept turning it on and turning it on and turning it on. All of a sudden at minute, like 46, I almost felt full. Like, like I just eaten eight to 10 meals and I was just I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. I was full. And in, in my brain, I'm like, turn off the freaking red light. <laughs> so yeah. I went across the room, I turned off the light. And it took me about three or four days before I could turn that light back on again. And I knew instinctually in my brain, I knew that I would just overdone it that day. So now I know my limit. Hmm. And I do see a difference where one of the things I see the differences is, is like the puffiness of my skin. Another thing I see the difference in is like a reduction of fine lines, like around the eyes. Cause my sauna is also an infrared sauna. So it has those types of lights, but, um, much less. Um, and it does give off a little bit of heat, like a, like a minor, minor, minor amount of heat. It's not enough heat, I think to warm you up or anything, but it's just enough to notice. Uh, but Scott, I'd love to get you in front of a red light and see what you think post experience, because they say it also helps with like depression and anxiety. And mm-hmm. that's the part to me that says, this is the concentration of what comes from the sun. Like this mm-hmm. is partly, if we were to stand in the sun every day, we wouldn't need these therapies in some ways. If you were in the sun all day, every day, but in Phoenix, when the sun goes down at five 30 at night, and doesn't come up until after seven o'clock the next morning, I miss it. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to see like red light being a thing to help with like seasonal affectivity disorder and stuff like that. I've, uh, I've yeah. definitely pushed it. I'm sorry, Scott. Were you going to say something? Uh, no, I, yeah, you can, you can, I, I'm going to say, I don't know. So you, you might have a better. Uh... <laughs> I was going to say, I've definitely overdone it on the red light before. Cause I would do, sometimes I would fast like 20 complete 24 hour fast. And then that morning, I would do red light, get my hyperbaric, go throughout my day. And then that night, I did it again, red light and hyperbaric. And the laying, I tried to lay in bed that night. I was, something was off. I, I, it, I like fried myself or something. I had like tons of energy, but it just felt really strange. But yeah, I think there is definitely such thing as way too much. But the Novathor, 15 minutes, um, I got a good lather going. It's, not, it's it just feels like it heats you up from your core like like your spine almost yeah I think the same I think the same like I, I can't explain how I knew I was done like I said I just felt full and overly full and I was 
fully done. Like stick a fork in me. I am officially done. And, and I, I didn't feel like on the surface of my skin, I didn't feel like I'd gotten like any burn or anything like that. It was just, I don't know. Like I just, I just knew, I just knew. And like I said, it was, it was days, it was three or four days before I could turn it back on again. And then after that three or four days, when I turned it back on, I was like, okay, 10 minutes, that'll be enough. <laughs> I don't have to max it out every time. What are, um, do you guys have any other questions for each other? Uh, as we're kind of starting to wind down a little bit. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, this has been a really fun and interesting conversation. And, uh, and I will say that your skin does look great, Adrian. So thanks, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like I'm aging in reverse. And I think part of that is biohacking. And, and I'm not always a device centric biohacker. Like I do intermittent and extended fasting, which I truly believe in. Um, I've got my aura ring that tells me how well I'm sleeping. And so I've just this week, I'm telling you, I just, I've not gotten good deep sleep since December. I've gotten less than 4% of deep sleep since December. And so being able to track that, I just this week started doing yoga Nidra, N-I-D-R-A, yoga Nidra sessions before falling asleep. And the last two nights in a row, I was up in the 8% range of deep sleep. And so I know that that's helping. And when I biohack, like, like I said, like I want to find things that are breath work, cold, heat, sunshine. And I think sunshine on every, every part of our body is fantastic, but you better believe I'm questioning when people are putting ozone up their nose and up their butts, like. I know ozone because Jason and Tom have taught me a lot about ozone and there are places it just does not belong. <laughs> yeah. So I'm on the, I'm, I'm on the no butt ozone kick 100%, too. Dude, I'm not trying to fry that. <laughs> I've, I've heard of people doing like IVs of ozone and doing the ozone saunas. I don't know the benefits of those at all. Yeah. With all of this stuff, I'm very skeptical with, with all of the stuff that's not, from nature, I'm. I, I think that there can be benefits because obviously, like modern medicine is great. Like, like there are things that we found in modern medicine that would never be in nature that, like, you know, cure things. But it's so easy to take things in, in a too reductionist standpoint. Like, someone will tell you, "Is like, oh no, coconut coffee—that's all you need in your whole life, and that's everything." Like, because they think it's just the one thing. And I'm really all about like you got to play with a lot of different things, be as natural as you possibly can, and. Uh, and, but it's smart that you're also, and, and most humans are like this, they're like, okay, well, I overdid it there. Like you're having a conversation with your environment. I think that's very important in everything that we do. And uh, yeah, I mean, just be smart the whole time and be aware, right? That's the, that's the key to being alive is be aware of what's going on and don't just, just zombie through your thing. Like someone, Ben Greenfield tells you to stick ozone up your butt doesn't mean you have to do it. And I know Ben, he's a good guy, but I still would never put ozone on my butt if you told me to do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, too. <laughs> are you a, do you prefer, are you a nose in mouth out kind of guy when you do your breath work? Or you, I, Cause I'm strictly just nose both ways. Yeah, uh, I love everything, what everyone's saying about nasal breathing. I think it's hugely beneficial. Um, when I'm going to be in the ice bath, I, 
I'll do nose in, mouth out in an ice bath. Um, it does. I don't know if it matters too much. Um, when I'm doing the Wim Hof breathing, I am all mouth. I think that the people who are talking about nose breathing with Wim Hof, uh, it's silly because what you're trying to do is lower your, your CO2 levels. So you want as much air movement as possible. Yeah. The, uh, the nose filter doesn't make it, I mean, it do, I'm sure it does something. It's, you know, changing your NO2 levels and things like that, but uh, that's not really the goal. So I'm, I'm one of the few people who say, just, just stick with the mouth for the Wim Hof stuff. If you're going to do other types of breathing, just like a great workout um, is if you want to do a cardio thing, just breathe through your nose. It's going to be the hardest damn workout you've ever done. You're going to perform way worse than you usually do, but it's great training. Like it's like, it's, it's a great resistance training for you to um, sort of uh, bring up your baseline. I don't do it very often because I find it a pain in the butt. I know it works, <laughs> but an elite athlete might want to try it. I don't know. Do you know, guys know any elite athletes around here? I, I think I see one. <laughs> I think I see one. Uh, James Nestor, James Nestor talks about that in his book, Breath. And that, that's a fascinating, fascinating book. Uh, there were several times I would pause it because I was listening to it on audible and I would rewind it to rehear the things that he's talking about nose breathing, mouth breathing, and the ways that we actually change our physiological state and change our physical, we can change our physical being through our breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way that you change the structure of your jaw and the bones in your jaw don't stop growing into what I can like 80 or something like that. Eight, mid 80s but that book was freaking awesome yeah you got to get that one on your list no that'll that'll be a good one i've already read it i might add it to the the list down the line add add it to a list on a month you don't have time to read a whole lot (laughs) exactly yeah good thinking I like Do you have efficient. any more questions for, uh, yeah. You have any more questions for us, Noah or Scott? Do you have any more, uh, things you want to go over? No, I, I want to say no. And next time you're in Denver, uh, you have to come and hang out. We're going to do something. Or we're going to jump in that, uh, that lake. In, was it your front yard? Yeah, it's my, it's, it's my friend's place. But yeah, if it's, if you come over in the winter, that'd be the best. Cause then you can get six inches of ice. We can give you the pickaxe and you can go dig a hole. It's, it's, it's a blast. Oh, that's all my, uh, my, my family lives in, a sister lives in basalt and oh. my oh, wow. lives outside of Denver as well. So every time we play the Rockies, it's, it's a family reunion. Well, it'll be bittersweet since I live in Denver and we don't want the Rockies to lose, but, um, it'll be, uh, yeah, it'll be fun if you, if you ever come by for sure. Oh, absolutely. I got to check our schedule, but when we're in town, I'll definitely uh, hit you up. Cool. Sounds good. You guys, I just want to say thank you for taking this time. Uh, I know us. I know we're all incredibly busy people and taking this time to have these conversations and share this information with the people that we're exposed to is, is beautiful. My whole mission in life is to shout the healing benefits of the cold from the rooftops and you guys have helped me do that today and i just want to thank you both for for taking the time to do that yeah thank you thank you adrian thank you scott for uh y'all's guidance and uh helping me uh get to where i want to be um i think both of you guys are badass and i I couldn't be more thankful to have you guys as my friend and um you know i think the the world's needs to know about this and everyone needs to start living a robust and extreme lifestyle.
Yeah, I love it. Yeah, thank you, everyone. You guys are badasses. And, uh, and uh, Adrian, I can't wait for you to deliver my forge to me next week. I'm telling you, dude, can't wait to be making that phone call. <laughs> Cannot wait. Need a cold coaching? Yeah. Scott, you've never experienced my coaching before. Nope. I no, have, have to put you through a session, little sensory immersion session. Sounds good. Sounds like my kind of thing. Hey, hey, Noah, does your roommate ever play the bowl for you? Uh, <laughs> no, we're not, we're not there yet. <laughs> I'll bring you one next time I'm in Florida visiting my family. Thank you for taking the time to come along this journey of exploration with us today. You can follow us to learn more at www.moroscoforge.com where we publish journal articles on all of your favorite deliberate cold exposure questions. You can also find us on Instagram at Morotsko Forge, and you can hear new episodes of the Morotsko Method everywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe. And remember, when you can learn to master your breath through the cold, you can learn to master your mind through your life. Thank you.